I'm talking this morning, and I've got a title uh, for those of you who take notes, and that's Freedom and Those Around Us. And I really struggled for a couple of weeks, not because I don't think there's something that God wants me to share, but really trying to sort of form it and capture it and be able to express it. And it's one of these sort of subjects where you feel like, yeah, that, that's how I could share it, or that's the way I could present it. And almost as soon as you grasp it, it seems to be too big, and it's sort of it's like slippy, and it moves away from you. Um, and last time I stood up to share a few weeks ago, I picked one chapter, and then that one chapter from Judges expanded into the whole book. And it's just like, whenever I tried to talk about things, it just seemed to be getting too big. So I thought, right, God, just, just one verse, just give me one verse. And so... God's uh, helped me by just having one verse to narrow things down. And I'm going to read the verse in a minute. But even as I do that, it just starts to get bigger and bigger. Um, and even in the worship today, I just had this one word, um, bigness, which um, apologies to English teacher Phil, it, it probably isn't a, a proper word anyway. But I just think there's a, there's a bigness in us that we are utterly unaware of. Um, I've lived my whole life, even when I was young, I was tall. Um, and uh, no, six foot five, I, I don't sort of hide in the corner very easily. Um, and particularly in Scotland, this sort of tall poppy syndrome, if you stick your head above the average, then someone's going to try and knock you down. It's just sort of that natural, you know, we don't like people who are a bit full of themselves, a bit out there and trying to prove everyone else wrong. And there's definitely a wrong sense in which arrogance is not God. Arrogance is not a character quality of the children of God. But there is a sense where I think for too long we've all just been bowed under the church being a miserable, you know, forgotten has-been. And, and we all live under that, you know, oh, please don't ask me, I'm a Christian, but don't, don't tell anybody. And there's this sort of nervous, apologetic sense of, you know, wrong sense that we, we live with. Um, and I just think there's a bigness that God wants us to grow in. So even when Phil's, uh, you know, prompting us there that God is a huge big God and just wants to do so much amongst us. And that's not again that we're little people and a big God, but God has put his bigness in us and the kingdom of heaven lives within us. And there's just a sense in which I hope that through what I share this morning, um, we're able to take words that can seem everyday and familiar and get a sense and a capture of the bigness that's behind it. So the main thing I hope that God can impart to us is a sense that really there is just a vast expanse in God that we can enjoy and we can bring that presence of God into the everyday that we live in. And so when we come across problems, we're not there aware of our little self and big, big problem, but we live in an awareness of our huge Father God and the vast resources and the unlimited freedom that he's giving us. And when you view things from that perspective, you know, your problem is still the same size, but suddenly, you know, you are a big monster size and suddenly, pa, little old problem here. Jesus, what should we do with this one? And uh, life just takes on a whole different, different realm. So I really want to hopefully convey this sense um, of the bigness that God has for us. God, we can sort of make God big. That's a bit easier for us to cope with. God's big. He created the universe. Yeah, big God. But if we are truly the sons of God, then that means there's a bigness in us. Um, and God wants us to live in an awareness of that and in the fullness of that. And, and I hope that as we go through this journey, I think God is teaching us a lot about our identity, that we live uh, growing in a sense of our princely standing, our position as sons 
of the king. And as we grow in a, just spend time thinking about that, what does it mean to be the son of the king, the son of the most high God, that we can learn and meditate and grow our own imaginations, our own understanding, our own thinking, and change the perspective that we view ourselves and change the perspective that we view the world around us. And that is going to change not only us, but the city that we live in, rather than being a huddled little group of Christians that, you know, shuffle into an old school building once a week on a Sunday, um, shuffle back feeling a bit better for it, um, but rather we will truly transform this city and the kingdom of God will be expressed through us. So that's the problem really, isn't it? That it's just too big. And um, how on earth do I help convey this bigness that I think God's wanting us to be aware of and, uh, and pin it down? So I'm going to read one verse and then I'm going to pray because I think I need God's help this morning. Okay, the verse that I'm speaking from is Galatians 5.13. Okay, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For you were called to freedom, brothers. That's uh, bigness right there, isn't it? Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the, fre- for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Shall we pray? Father God, what can we say? We love your presence. We love what you're doing amongst us. God, we want to capture all that you're showing us, to live in the good of it, and to just spread your kingdom to help more and more come in to the blessings of being children of the Most High God. Father, I ask that you'd help me this morning convey your heart to expand our understanding and our imaginations. And Father, you'd help all of us hear you clearly. God, that you'd give us meat for our week. You'd give us food for our imaginations. You'd give us the courage to believe um, that we're not just mere men, but truly we are the sons of the living God. Father, we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you are called to freedom. That's it. it really is a huge statement there, isn't it? And uh, the trouble with many things, if you've been a Christian, I've been Christian for um, 30 years now, and, and you read the Bible and you, you get these verses, and yeah, yeah, call to freedom, move on, next thing. But it's good just to sort of stop and pause, called to freedom. And there's just so much in there. And the first thing is that, you know, really God has called us. This isn't just an option that we can sort of take it or leave it. This is something that every person is, you know, God wants for every person. That really he has called, he's made it part of who we are as children of God. It's something that he wants. Um, And we so easily brush past this and don't think about it. And part of the reason for that is most of our lives really point against that. So when we talk about freedom... um, you know, you often think of, well, that must mean those revolutionaries, freedom! And, uh, but most revolutions, it's sort of, you get the old regime out, but pretty soon the new regime looks pretty much like the old regime again. So, you know, the, what, what is freedom really? Most of our lives are not free. We don't feel free because there's rules, there's regulations, there's do's, there's don'ts. Um, there's other people's expectations. There's just set ways that you're supposed to behave. Um, this control, we just sort of feel this sense that, you know, either we control ourselves, I'm just not that person, I couldn't do that, oh, that's not for me, no, 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 I don't do those sorts of things. Or other people control us and we get put down from childhood onwards, you'll never amount to anything, you're always going to mess up, you know, look at you, you've done it again, that's it. Those words have an effect on us and they just sort of, over time, shrink 
our sense of our own possibility shrink the imagination, the world in which we live. So a child starts with this ability just to have huge, big dreams. And by the time they become adults, then, you know, what have we got? We've got someone who's, you know, accepting just the least possible opportunities. Um, and so that's the environment that we live in, and it all speaks against freedom. But yet we're called to freedom, so how can this be? And I think often our own internal rules are the hardest because it's just like this cage. God can set us free from the cage of, you know, everything that the devil puts on us, but we can stay in that cage and not walk out and live in true freedom. And there's so many ways in which we just count ourselves out, and I think the biggest hurdle that we face is you can see good things happening even in a church family, um, and you can say, just so blessed that that's other people are going for it, and, you know, I'm sure I'll receive something just by being near them, but really that's for them and, well, me, I'm just going to sit at the back and, you know, hope I catch a bit of it. And we, we can count ourselves out of so much. But we have been called, and uh, I picked one verse, but I can't just stick with one verse because uh, <laughs> it comes from a great chapter, Galatians chapter 5, um, which starts with this amazing statement, for freedom you have been set free. And really, I just want to emphasize that if you don't hear anything else other than read that and just go away and meditate on it, you have been set free for freedom. This is God's word to us. This is what he wants us to grasp, to understand, and to live in the good of. Um, Jesus, um, the Gospel of John, quite a few um, verses there that talk about freedom. And uh, I'm just going to pick out one or two. John 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And clearly there's a freedom that we just don't quite grasp, but Jesus um, really meant us to get, um, get a hold of this. So I just thought it might be helpful um, to look at a dictionary and see what the dictionary says about freedom, give us a few handles to work with. So a few different uh, definitions here. Freedom is being free of restraints, so free of the things that would hold us down. It's the capacity to exercise choice or free will. Now, that's a, a pretty good sense of freedom, isn't it? That we can actually make choices. And I think this is often where we, we don't feel free, that we feel that I don't have any choice, I just had to do it. You just feel you're constrained that there's just one thing you had to do. But actually, there are other choices, and we can learn how to tune into God and listen and say, you don't have to do it that way. You can do it this way. You don't have to react like that when this happens. You can react a different way. There are more choices, um, and freedom is that capacity to exercise choice or free will. Freedom is the right to unrestrained access. If you have a backstage pass, you have free reign wherever in the concert. There's this unrestrained access, and I just love one of those swabs or whatever they're called. This, you can just sort of put it on the electronic door, and you can get anywhere in the building. You can um, have that pass. You can go any corridor in government, you have whatever level of security means you could go anywhere and ask any question. There's an unrestrained access. You have the right to go these places. And also, um, another definition there, the right to enjoy all the privileges of citizenship. I thought that was a great one, wasn't it? That just, if we are the children of God, if we are the sons of the Most High King and he has unlimited resources, then we have the rights as citizens to enjoy all the resources of heaven. So uh, some dictionary definitions there of freedom. But as a good Bible teacher, it's always good to anchor things in where does my one verse sit in, in the context of this 
uh, of this chapter. So all of uh, Galatians chapter 5, as I say, is talking about freedom and is specifically referring to freedom from slavery. And it was the issue of circumcision. Now, at this point, most of the men sort of wince and cross their legs and all the ladies just don't really notice. Um, praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. This is not an issue for today. Um, but for then, there were lots of um, religious people who went around the believers trying to say that the only way that they could have assurance of salvation was is, as well as accepting Jesus, we believe in that, but you also need this circumcision. You've just got to do these things, what the law says. And they were trying to persuade people to do both. You know, yes, if you want to have your new religion, but also stick with the old and the tried and the trusted. And it, it was almost as if you're okay as long as you do the right thing. Um, and we're not tempted, you know, clearly, who's going to be tempted to circumcision? But we do face this same temptation to... Uh, sorry if I'm going on about that too much. <laughs> clearly, uh, I'm, a, I'm a doctor. It's just I've seen one too many. It's uh, painful. <laughs> Painful thing. Uh, come back to me. Sorry about that. Um, I think if someone prayed this morning, they'd have fun. It was uh, probably not a good thing to pray that I had fun this morning. Um, but we do get this temptation to stick to the rules. We get this temptation just to do the right thing. What's the expected behaviour? What are the, the rules? And you know, even joining a new church family, you can sort of how do people behave here? What's the supposed to? You know, how do you do? Are we all sort of Shirts, uh, shirts, ties, black Bibles, or are we much more sort of the uh, easy ozy jeans and the scruffy shirt? And, you know, sort of, you know, see how the church family fits. What's the sort of way you behave in, in any grouping? And we just like to know what's expected of us. What's the rules? And they may not be, you know, down there on a the board for everyone to follow, but we all have rules, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not. And we all pretty quickly learn what are the rules in any environment that we're in. So these um, religious people were coming into the Galatian church and trying to persuade them to follow the law. And and it's a great chapter. I'm not going to go through all of Galatians chapter 5. But really Paul was very clearly saying that if you go that route and you start to follow the law thinking that it's going to help your salvation, then you can't just obey one rule. You have to obey all the rules. Um, And so really he's very clearly setting apart the difference between the law and what had failed for all those years of Israel's history and the amazing freedom and grace that Jesus had bought and the freedom from the law that we can now live in. So the whole chapter really was pitting um, law against grace. And grace really is shocking, isn't it? I mean, have you ever thought of just how staggeringly free um, grace is? Grace means you can do absolutely anything, and yet God loves you because of Jesus' sacrifice. You cannot do anything that will take you out of the love of God. And we just don't believe that really, if we, or we don't really, truly, fully believe that. I think if we believe that more, you know, freedom would just be popping out all over the place. We still feel, well, yes, but you've got to be a good Christian. You've got to do the right thing. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But that is not grace. Grace is being utterly set free from anything. There's no way we can earn God's favor. And God loves us no matter what we do. And, you know, it really comes down to, again, our identity. How do we see ourselves as children and Father God? What's the connection there? Is God that sort of stern father, the old man in the grey beard with the big rule book, sort of, you know, big stick waiting to whack us on the head if we don't quite get it right? You know, is that how, how you see Father God? Or is he just the doting dad who absolutely adores us? 
yes, there's mistakes, and yes, well, son, that wasn't smart, was it? But there's the pick up, there's the dust you down, there's a, let's see if we can find a better way to do that. Um, God doesn't ignore our mistakes, but he doesn't um, you know, whack us on the head and just dismisses us as failures because of them. And I really think we need God's help to grasp this. And even um, as I was reading and just preparing for this, just this verse from Ephesians struck me. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, it's, it's a few verses, and I'll just pick out a bit of it. Um, verses 16 to 19. But Paul prays that they would have strength, that they may even comprehend um, just the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love for them. You know, I think we really are grappling at the edges of this. And I think God is wanting to give us an increasing measure of just how much he loves us and how much that love will transform us and the world around us. And it, is a, it, it, it isn't a natural thing. It's not sort of like you can sort of, yeah, 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 that's it. I've got it fully understood that. We truly do need God's help. And as we meditate on these verses and just ask God to expand our imagination to grow it, I think we'll grasp more and more of how much God loves us. So grace really is, you know, the foundation, and that gives us this environment of freedom. Um, but normally we try and control our environment, and I think it is this balance between love and fear. The more we live in an awareness of God's love, the less we'll live in a fear of problems, mistakes, need, lack, all the different things, because everything we do... Um, as, as I was preparing for this, I thought, right, well, the issue is that we, we control, we try and control too much, but I thought, that's just a negative start to a message, and God wants to encourage, provoke, and, and uh, just enthuse about this rather than thinking about all the, all the negative things. But we do control so much about our environment. Um, we like our houses to be warm and safe and, and secure. Um, we control who gets in, or, you know, there should be an element that you don't let anyone coming in, you don't let violent people, burglars, you know, people who just want to rob you and take from you. So we control who gets in. Um, my little sort of question, this is a, a fathering word out here, it's just, do we control the TV or the internet, that voice that so easily speaks into our family and our children and ourselves? Do we really do what we should do in protecting ourselves? And, and, uh, or do we give the TV free access to influence our attitudes and, uh, and values? But there's a sense in which we control our environment. We control our relationships. Um, we, we all sort of learn fairly quickly what's the expected behavior. And we learn fairly quickly um, how to modify how we are depending on who's around. So if you're on your own, you know, you might behave one way. If you're with your you know, trusted friends, you might behave a different way. If there's a group of strangers, you know, all right, it's sort of, you know, best, best face, you know, smartest clothes and, and really sort of try and sort of ruffle as few feathers as possible. Um, we control our relationships, we control what's, how we behave depending on those who are around us. Um, we even control how close people get to us. So the sort of standard question that's, uh, hi, how are you? How free do we feel to answer that question? Um, or do we just give the, the usual catch-all response, which is fine, um, I'm fine. So we, we banned that for a while in our family life. We just said, fine is the weather. The weather might be fine, but fine tells you nothing about how you are. Um, so try answering the question without saying fine. It's, a, it's quite a challenge. But we do. We just sort of limit how much we tell of people. And it's not that we can or, or should, you know, splurt out absolutely everything to, to everybody who's around. But you should at least have that choice. Do you feel free 
to choose how much you say or how much you don't. Sometimes it's not appropriate. Someone might ask you, but actually their world's falling apart, and for you to tell them too much might just burden them even more. Um, someone else, you know, really might not be able to handle all that you could say, or there's just too much going on. And if you start to say, you know, what a horrible week you've had, you might fall apart and you've actually, you know, got a job to get on with. So sometimes it's right that we do control what we say, but we've got to be free to make that choice. When do we share a lot? When do we share less? Rather than this constraining, oh, you just can't because what would they think of you? Or you can't because of how would they react if they really knew you? Um, So our relationships, we control how much we let people. Another test of how free you feel in your relationships is what do you do if someone upsets you? What do you do if someone offends you? What do you do if someone... Whatever they do, it causes you um, a problem. Um, are you free to say what you feel? Um, or do you just sort of withdraw, pull the drawbridge up, think, right, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get near that guy again. And uh, we just sort of withdraw, pull back. Um, or are we free to say what we feel? Again, there's good ways and bad ways of saying what we feel. So I'm not saying we you know, quickly jump and tell everyone their, their weaknesses and have uh, you know, carnage around as we sort of... you know. You, you get the message. Um, but really, I just think we have a, a lot to learn in this area of freedom, how to truly be ourselves, how to be free to be ourselves. And I tried to just, just as I was thinking this, I had this picture, and I'm not sure if it's a, a great picture for every situation, but just this picture of, uh, of freedom, really, for, for me perhaps this is, just this broad, sunny meadow, and there's just sort of you know, a stream running through there, trees for shade, and in this meadow is just a big, big family outing, so just a big church picnic, you can imagine. And there's all sorts going on in this, this picture of freedom. There were, you know, playing games in one sort of bits. There was people sitting down chatting. There was clearly going to be food there, so there was lots of food and people enjoying that. The people who actually just wanted to sit quiet, and this sense of freedom was that just there was something for everyone. Um, there are other people who actually, although it was a sort of, you know, sunny afternoon, they actually needed stuff done, so other people were getting on. There was just a sense that visitors, you know, new people were quickly welcome. It wasn't an exclusive atmosphere. Um, and I think God just wants to expand um, our picture of, um, of freedom. The other bit um, of that was that in any sort of family gathering, there are children who just run around wild and just have a, a final time, but clearly not aware that the stream can mean danger. And so there's this sense of where we freedom still means looking out for one another. So freedom still means aware of other people and is someone's behaviour going to lead them over into, into a dangerous situation. But just in, in emphasising this freedom, I just have this sense, as I say, of the bigness of God. And the other verse that came to mind was um, from Romans 8, that creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 8:19. And just as I've sort of been thinking about this, freedom isn't just for us. Freedom isn't just for us to have a happy time and to feel more, you know, at liberty. Um, Freedom is going to speak large to the world around us when the sons of God live in all that God has for us, and freedom is one expression of that. Um, Then that's what creation is waiting for. That is going to shout in such a big way. God wants to hold us up and say to the world, look at my children, look at my family. Um, so God wants to live us, in, us to live in freedom. And just to sort of round this off, um, there's two ways in which we can be free. We can be free from, 
We can free, be free from sin. We can be free from that tendency in us to be constantly doing the bad thing when you're not one of God's children, when you're not a son of God. There's just no power. You can want to do the right thing, but there's always that part of you that trips you up. But being uh, a child of God, being born again, then gives you the power, the Holy Spirit, to guide and direct you so we can be free from the tent- tendency to sin. We can clearly, as Paul was saying to the Galatians, we can be free from the law and the judgment with the law. We can also be free from past wounds, things that have happened, those negative words that were spoken to us either in childhood or in adulthood, and those situations that arose and that really sort of hurt us deeply. I'm not only free and healed from those wounds, but often what we find ourselves doing is we just sort of learn ways of behaving, of protecting ourselves. And right, well, I, you know, I know that I need to talk in this way now, or I know not to go near people like that because people like that always hurt me. And we develop these broken ways of responding. Uh, and God wants to set us free from that so we don't have to be following old patterns of behavior, trying to protect ourselves from hurt. But there's a bigger sense in freedom. It's not just freedom from the past, freedom from sin. God wants to be free too. And it's free to fulfill the destiny um, that God has for us. God has, uh, Paul put it, I have run the race. I have um, lost the verse already. There's the that that God laid hold of me for. Um, And God just has this plan for each one of us. And we uh, want to find a freedom so that we truly can find what is it that God has for me to be. And it's not that we have to have it in a sort of, well, tell me what to do in church. And there's a sort of few little boxes we can put, put things in. You know, it's ministry, it's preaching, it's worship. It's, you know, there's just a few religious boxes that we can often do. But God has an individual that for us, uh, for each of us, which might be nothing to do with church. It might be to be the best artist you can be, to be the best secretary you can be, be the best school teacher you can be. And there's a, an aspect of the kingdom of God that God has for each of us do. And he wants us to have a freedom to find that and to pursue that. Um, and it really struck me when I was thinking about freedom, how much God values freedom. Um, and I don't know if you've ever thought, sometimes as you read in the Bible, you read Bible stories, try and put yourself in the story, try and put yourself in, in the picture. And, you know, if you were with Jesus and you were one of the disciples or, you know, here for me, if I was God, which is sort of, you know, don't, don't normally think if I was God... But the Garden of Eden, if I was creating the Garden of Eden and I was putting Adam and Eve in there and I was wanting it to be the sort of beginning of the earth and everything that needed to be there was there, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, clearly, that's a problem. You know, if these guys find that tree, you know, that will sort of blow everything apart, won't it? So if I was God, I often had this thought, I think, you know, they are naked, they're not wearing any clothes, so let's put thorns and nettles and stinging bushes around us so they just don't go anywhere, anywhere near it. Um, or perhaps they learn how to make clothes, so perhaps we'll put it on Mount Everest, you know, sub-zero, you know, miles and miles away. Let's make it really hard for them to get there. But God doesn't. God prizes freedom so highly that he left Adam and Eve to wander freely round the garden with only his instruction. That's all he gave them. No barriers, no stinging nettles, no, you know, mountain thousands of miles away. Um, He could have controlled their options and he could have protected them from themselves and made it hard for them to, to do that, hard to do what he asked them not to 
and then hard to live with the consequences of their own sinful action. But there wouldn't have been freedom, would it? And God prizes freedom so much that he allowed them to make devastating, earth-changing mistake, um, which has affected all of our lives ever since. Um, last time I spoke, I talked about uh, a story from the book of Judges and uh, just sort of did a bit of an introduction there, looking at the people of Israel through that time in Judges um, and how they went into the promised land but very quickly became seduced by the Canaanite people and started adopting their practices, marrying their um, you know, sons and daughters, getting married. Um, they really lost their identity as the people of God, that sense of special people of God that God had you know, honed in them through their slavery in Egypt, brought them out with miracle power, taught them through Moses and then with Joshua, gave them this strong sense of identity of the people of God, and yet within a few years living in Cain and they were worshipping the Baals and the Ashtaroths. They were just living as the Canaanites did. They lost their sense of identity and God sent um, oppressing nations in to remind them and they did the right thing. They called out to God. God heard their cry, rescued them, delivered them, sent them a judge and then while the judge lived, they lived in the good that God intended for them. Um, but then the judge died they began to forget again and slip back into their old ways. And that cycle repeated um, quite, quite a few times. And it was such a sad thing to sort of look at the whole book and see that that hope that God had, that he'd bring them into the land of milk and honey, this land of great promise and freedom. And yet they couldn't. The law in itself couldn't allow them to contain that, couldn't allow them to live safely in that. They were only safe as long as there was a, a leader who's telling them what to do. They're only safe as long as they were controlled by the law. And the law did bring a measure of safety. And a lot of people feel very comfortable with the rules. A lot of people actually quite like, you know, just, just tell me what to do. This freedom thing actually means I have to think. This freedom thing means I need to make choices and live by the consequence of those choices. And some people really do like boundaries. They do like sort of, you know, do's and don'ts. Um, but God has something much bigger for us. He wants us to learn this heart connection with him so that we can see the possibilities. We have real choices, but choose the right thing, not because of the rules, not because of the threat of the big stick, um, but because of our heart connection. Galatians chapter 5, as I say, is, is a, a huge thing, and, and freedom is, is a big message in there. And sort of later on um, in, in the chapter, it talks about some of the results of unrestrained freedom, what happens when that gets out of control. And the next part of verse 13 to read is, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Flesh is, is one of these Bible words that we, we don't talk about the, the flesh. Usually when it's flesh, it's just down at the butchers and getting some meat, isn't it? It uh, doesn't really mean much to us, but the flesh is everything that is not spirit. I think is perhaps the, the easiest way to do it. It's all those actions and attitudes that are perhaps worldly, not very godly. Um, and helpfully, um, Galatians lists a few of the, uh, the problems. The works of the flesh, it says in verse 18, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, Things like that. And I think, my word, what sort of church was this? <laughs> that they uh, needed all of that pointing out to them. Because um, you do, I don't know if you're like me, you sort of go around, well, you know, okay, tick box there, you know, no orgies recently. 
Um, no idolatry that I'm aware of, no sorcery. Um, you can sort of tick off this, you know, sexual immorality. Um, but then it gets down to strife, a bit of a, a dispute with some people. Jealousy, you know, they're doing well, and what, what, what's happened to me? You know, envy, um, dissensions, fits of anger. Now, we might have got it pretty together, and you don't sort of, you know, blow off with everybody, and you might sort of keep you keep you cool most of the time, but how boiling are you on the inside? You might have controlled the, the mask, you might have got the behavior, but, but what's happening on the inside? And, and one of those tests is uh, what you're like in the car when someone cuts you up, you know. It's a pretty good one. No one sees you, no one knows you. And uh, I remember hitting the horn going round the roundabout once as someone cut in front of me. They hadn't seen me on the roundabout. I was on the roundabout and they were in the wrong, clearly. And uh, they come and I hit the horn and saw a good friend of mine in the driving seat. <laughs> I don't know who felt worse <laughs> for pulling out on me for hitting the horn. Um, so, you know, we, we have all these, you know, the flesh is still alive and well, isn't it? We're not, uh, we're not perfect and it's there in us. Um, and, uh, but God wants us to... Where's my verse gone? To not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And I think there's this wrong sense in freedom is I'm free to be myself leads to the very modern attitude of individualism. That I'm just free to be me means I can carry on any old how and it's there in the Bible and you guys have just got to lump it. I'm just being free. I'm being me. The Bible says so, you know. That's uh, just tough cookie, guys. Um, and a lot of these sins, a lot of these you know, works of the flesh um, come out of that you know, unrestrained individuality, that unrestrained, I can do whatever I like, and you know, you've just got to lump it. Um, and clearly, it's often, if you're just there on a desert island on your own, you can live any old how. You know? Really, you are totally free to do what you like, and you know... If you get drunk every night, then you get headaches and, you know, start to lose your memory and liver problems. But apart from that, you know, it doesn't really bother anybody. But if you're there with people, and praise God, we're not all stuck on desert islands, but God wants to draw us more together as a people, then more and more, me being good old me is going to rub people up. And, you know, we're naive if we think we don't. We can sort of keep our Christian mask and keep people at a distance, and that means we won't, you know, upset people too much of the time. But if you're going to be more free to be me and you're going to be more free to be you, then imperfect people are going to upset other imperfect people. And that's where a lot of these things are going to come out. So the danger in freedom often is where we're more aware of my own wishes, my own needs, my own desires, and less aware of God and God's heart, and less aware of the people around us. Um, and what does that do? And so Paul you know, gives this this verse here, and he comes with a very strong, I was reading one commentary which says it's an imperative verb, Um, it's a do not, it's a command, he's using his authority to appeal to these Christians, it's not sort of, you might like to consider, or it probably would be a good idea if, this clearly was a strong, you know, word to the church, do not use your freedom that clearly we have in Christ as an opportunity for for the flesh. And God does want us to get this message, both, both parts of this message, very, very clearly. That yes, freedom is a huge part of the package. Freedom is something that we've only glimpsed a little bit of. And freedom is something that God very, very much wants us to live in the good of. But freedom unrestrained will cause chaos. Freedom unrestrained will, you know, 
just lead to divisions, dissensions, the rest. And sadly, the, the church hasn't been great at this. We've all sort of got this sense of this is the great thing that God's shown me and I'm going to pursue it. Sounds good. But pursuing it at the cost of other people and pursuing it at trampling on everybody else. And sadly, we just get this passion, pattern of division and churches splitting and, you know, you can grow to a certain size and then you can't hold it together unless everybody looks just like the leader. Um, and if that doesn't happen, then everything falls apart. And there's this sense in which we've got to grow in our hopes and dreams and, and understanding of what freedom means and yet not live in unrestrained freedom, which will cause chaos and mayhem around us. So a key question, is my expression of freedom affecting others? Is me being unrestrained me having an impact on those around us and I think if we're all honest then you know the closer you get to people the more you realize that it is um, I, I sort of frequently joke with my family that uh, I'm perfect actually you know <laughs> you might not know it but but I'm perfect I'm just talking to you guys just for, for your benefit and uh, it was only once I became married and uh, my wife lovingly pointed out just one or two little minor discrepancies, sort of, you know, smallest of character defects, you know, nothing you'd really notice, but um, <laughs> she's good at keeping secrets, so I think I'm safe. But, but we do, I think, you know, we just so easily find that, you know, if we're going to be free to be me, it's going to upset someone, and probably um, more than we realise. So what was Paul's solution? What's the last part of that in verse, um, verse 13? What's the solution that he came up with to avoid us messing up? But through love, serve one another. And that's sort of, the more it's sort of, I was looking for a verse, I had this big sense of what God was wanting to say, and God said, that's the verse. And I thought, great, I've got a verse. And I read it and I thought, how, how odd is that? You know, that is not perhaps the solution or is it? And you just really need to get your head around this a bit. Through love, serve one another. Now, it's not the only thing that Paul says, and I want to say this as a verse in the context of the chapter, and the rest of the chapter talks about walking by the Spirit. And there's just a right sense in which we can only do any of this as we listen to God and we have the Holy Spirit's power. You can know the right thing to do, but with the best will in the world, you're still going to mess up. So we clearly have to do that. But walking by the Spirit... That's a sort of, hmm, floaty, you know, what does it look like? You know, I'm walking by the Spirit, brother, and, uh, you know, you can carry on doing anything and you can tell anyone that you're walking by the Spirit. It doesn't, doesn't really help, does it? It's what we should do, but it doesn't help us. But love, through love, serve one another. Hmm, that's a bit more tangible, isn't it? That's a bit more, you know, rubber hits the road. I either am or I'm not serving my brother. And... Uh, I think really God wants us to grow in so many one-anotherings. That is just a, an amazing study to do. How many times in the New Testament does it say, do something to one another? And really there is all of God's purpose. It's not in me in my small corner and you in yours. It's not me with my ticket to heaven just waiting for the by and by when Jesus returns. God's purpose is for a family. God's purpose is for a people, a body. And that's always going to throw us together. And so we really have to find out how to serve one another in love. And really that comes down to some honest relationships because as I said about my, uh, my lovely Jan, um, the wife of my life, as we get close to people 
and um, start to, you know, be more vulnerable, more honest, you know, or just be more of ourselves, a bit more relaxed, not quite so much of a guard on, then you really do find your own shortcomings. And you are perfect on a desert island because there's no one there to tell you otherwise. As soon as you get in any sort of relationship, you pretty quickly find out. Um, and we need these honest relationships because if I'm just left as I am, then, you know, some people think that's great, other people think it's pretty naff. But, you know, I'm hardly likely to change. That's just me, that's the way I am, like it or lump it. But if we can get close to other people and other people can help me, you know, Nick, whenever you say this, you upset half of the people you're talking to. Or whenever you wander around, you just ignore people and, you know, you just have this attitude of being aloof and not really very friendly. You know, there's, there's different aspects that you may or may not think about someone else, but if you don't tell them, how can they change? And if no one tells me, how can I change? And we need honest relationships. We need others close enough to us. And we need to be vulnerable. If we just keep that, you know, good old Christian mask, then I've got it pretty together. I've been a Christian for 30 odd years. I know how to do this malarkey. I can, you know, quote verses. I can sort of keep people at the distance. You know, I've got it all pretty taped. Is that how we want to live our lives? Just in our own little bubble? Just sort of think about billiard balls on the table. A billiard table is actually pretty huge for any of you who might have seen one. And if you're just one of a few billiard balls, you can actually, I used to quite like getting a ball and sort of throw it around or hit it hard with a cue and see how many different sides of the table it hit before it hit another ball. And actually, you can do that. You can sort of go around in life, you know, quite a long way before you bump into someone. And uh, fortunately for billiards, it's just sort of a quick bump and then you're off again. It might have been a bit painful, but you're off on your own and, you know, you can just sort of keep, keep your distance quite easily. But that's a pretty sad sort of state to be in, really, isn't it? Um, so we need one another to be perfected. But another key question I wanted to ask is how much do we value relationships? Because if we're not bothered about those around us, then there's little incentive to change. If we're not bothered, you know, how are my actions affecting someone else? How's my, you know, doing something or, or even not doing something? Me being passive can be as much of a problem to someone as me, you know, being a bit wacky and, and doing something in an odd way. You know, by being passive and just like a lead weight, you know, you can you know, upset people. You know, well, we really wanted people to serve, and, and where were you? Or we really wanted everyone to sign up and to say, yes, we'd like to be there, but you couldn't be bothered. You know, and and that's sort of, that has an effect on people just as much. So that's the question, isn't it? How much do we value relationships? Because if we're not really bothered, we're just carrying on in our own sweet way, then, you know, get through fine, you've learned how to keep it together. But it's really not this family of God, it's really not the people of God that God wants in the earth and that is going to change. And we can find out how much we value relationships by the time and priority we give them. How much time do we give to meeting with friends and family? How much time do we give to getting to get to know new people? In a church context, there's the obvious ones about, you know, Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting together. Um, there's all the issues about, you know, are you part of a, a small group and just sort of finding ways to form a family? And we can get legalistic with these things and don't hear the wrong message there. But how much time do we give our relationships? How committed are we to the one anothering that I was mentioning? Um, how willing are we to be honest and vulnerable? Do we just want to, to keep the masters, just sort of say, you know, just a little bit but not too much? Um, how vulnerable are we willing to be? 
how confrontable are we willing to be? Do you give that message out that, you know, if you come to me with any negative, you're going to get a mouthful? And you might never say that, but people know prickly character there, you know, don't go saying anything to him. I know he's a loudmouth and he's always upsetting people, but it's just not worth the carnage if we just try and sort it out. We'll just sort of sideline him. You know, are we confrontable? Are we those people who welcome comments and, and make it easy for people to talk to us? Um, and how willing are we to be put out for other people? So, you know, you know what you need to do this week, but suddenly someone else is, you know, ill and, you know, baby needs looking after or someone else is moving house and, you know, they'd organized some help, but it all fell apart. And how willing are we to be put out for other people? So there are tests of how much we value relationships. If we value them highly, we will put ourselves out. We will be willing to be honest and, uh, and accept comments when people come. If we're not too bothered, then actually, I just, you know, no thanks, it's, it's not for me. And I really want this, this prize for us that we can grow a healthy environment. We can have respectful two-way relationships where it's as easy for me to say something to you as it is for you to say something to me. Um, and I think the goal is that I will grow and develop, you will grow and develop, we'll all find our characters changed and molded, we'll all be more like Jesus, we'll, we will be perfected. And I'm convinced that in that we will find more freedom, more blessing than if we carry on just doing the you know, it might be a very comfortable religious setup that we've got, but nonetheless, we can slip very easily into a religious setup. And if that's all we are, just sort of nice guys who show up on a Sunday and perhaps do some fun things midweek, you know, it's fine, but it's not really a great expression of the kingdom of God, is it? And uh, I think there's uh, an appetite for a lot more exciting expression of the kingdom of God. And really, just to sum up with this, I think God wants this more than we want this. God wants us to hold us up as his people, he wants us to hold us up as churches across the city, as people who've fallen in love with Jesus and fallen in love with one another. And he can show us as an example to the world. And it won't be that they've messed up because of a rule book. They've missed the glowing example of the kingdom of God in their midst. And that's how people will be judged. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's uh, quite a, quite a com uh, commission, isn't it? But I think God has big things for us. It takes some courage, takes a lot of drawing on God, takes some willingness to be a bit vulnerable and open. But I think the prize is worth it. Yes. Should we pray? Yes. Father God, we love you. We are just in awe and amaze that you've called us as children of God. You've called us into the kingdom of heaven. And not just that we get there one day, but you want to express your kingdom through us. Father, I ask that you'd grow our imaginations. God, you'd help us think big thoughts, dream big dreams. God, we wouldn't feel that it's, it's arrogant to have a big thought, but God, we just find it as your, your um, lifeblood flowing through us, your air invigorating us. God, the life of God flowing through our veins that allows us to face our everyday with new eyes, allows us to meet challenges with new strength. God allows us to, to look at problems with a peace and a conviction of, of your not only ability but your willingness to meet our needs. Father, I ask that you'd grow us, grow our imaginations, grow our hearts and allow us the, uh, the ways and means of 
growing closer together, that as brothers and sisters we can cover each other's weaknesses, we can find a way of relating that allows each of us to grow into the people that you've called us to be. God, I ask for this in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen.